0: All right, welcome and thank you for listening to Clear Bible. Clear Bible is possible because of New Joy Fellowship and because of Life Together Churches. And uh, if you are blessed by this ministry, you certainly can give. And there's a page on the website that says uh, donate and you can check that out. But pray about it before you do. I don't, I'm not one of those who thinks that Just because you happen to be listening now means you ought to give. I think you should pray about it and see what the Lord tells you to do or not do. But just so you know, this is a ministry that is supported by giving primarily through New Joy Fellowship and Life Together Churches. Anyway, let's be done with that. We are in the book of 1 Samuel, and this is 1 Samuel, part 15. 1 Samuel part 15, and we're in chapter 15. 1 Samuel 15, we're going to read verses 17 through 23. And I promise you we will be done with 1 Samuel chapter 15 after today. But let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take your word today and let us receive from it what you want to give us. Let us hear your voice speaking to us, encouraging us or possibly correcting us, lifting us up, or um, driving us to you in humility. Whatever you want to do, Lord, we pray you do that right now through your word and use this message so that we understand your word rightly. If you want to change anything I'm about to say, please do so. Or even if you just want to change the way we all hear it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are in First Samuel and i'm going to read uh, chapter 15 verses 17 through 23 this is kind of the center of the chapter and even though we've spent 2 weeks already on this chapter this what i'm going to read to you i think is the heart of what's going on it's sort of the central core message of first samuel chapter 15 you have saul who heard from the lord or sorry samuel who heard from the lord about what saul had done and not done And then so Samuel came to the Lord, and actually I'll start at verse 16. Then Samuel said to Saul, listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you? Saul asked. And Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission, and told you go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the rest of the sheep and goats and cattle and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices? or your obedience to his voice. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. One of those very happy, encouraging endings. <laughs> the Old Testament has a lot of... of of value for us Christians in many ways. We can learn from examples, both positive and negative, and I'll just give you a clue. Saul's example is negative, obviously. We can see how God deals with people who live by faith and with those who don't live by faith and people who live by faith and fail. We, we, We can learn things from the Old Testament and that way we can receive God's promises through his, or sorry, we can receive God's comfort through his promises to his people. And we are the people of God through Jesus Christ. So even when we read the Old Testament and it says, you know, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with him is full redemption. When we hear O Israel, we can put ourselves into that mix. Through Jesus Christ, we are the people of God. So the promises to God's people, even in the Old Testament, are promises, excuse me, to us. We can learn about God's standard for holiness. And we talked about that a little bit last time with, with the idea of Holy War, But I want us to remember that the Old Testament is first and foremost about Jesus Christ. Now that may sound weird because this passage today, it's, it says nothing about the Messiah. There, it certainly doesn't name Jesus. It took place a thousand years before Jesus came along. But the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and the message of those things are the central concern, not just for the New Testament, but for the Old Testament as well. Luke describes how Jesus helped the disciples to understand this. Luke 24, 25-27, Jesus said to them, How unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts all that the prophets have spoken. <clears throat> Excuse me. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them all the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. That's again, Luke 24, 25 through 27. The scriptures at that time were the Old Testament. And then here we have again from Luke 24, the same chapter a little bit later on, verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And again, at this point in time, they were talking about the Old Testament scriptures. The New, the, Luke was writing this it was becoming the New Testament. But what Jesus was talking about was how the Old Testament scriptures prophesied and spoke about him. They spoke about the kind of Messiah he would be. They did have some direct prophecies about the things he would do and say and who he would be. But there are also some indirect things. There's things about the holiness of God, the problems that Jesus solved. So, um, and also I just want to give you a quick thing. In the New Testament, when you see the law and the prophets, or Jesus said the law and the prophets and the Psalms, that is a shorthand way that Jews had at that time of describing the Old Testament. Of course, they never. They still don't call it the Old Testament, they just call it the Bible. For us, it's part of the Bible. But uh, in the time of Jesus, when someone said the Law and the Prophets, or Moses and the Prophets, that what they meant was the Bible, the, which the thing that we call the Old Testament. The purpose of the entire Bible, including the Law and the Prophets, that is the Old Testament, the purpose is to help us to know Jesus better and walk with Him in faith. So even when we read these Old Testament scriptures, we should be asking the Holy Spirit to show us Jesus through the scripture. And I think this is particularly important when we come to a passage like this in 1 Samuel 15. We talked about the concerns of holy war already. We thoroughly talked about those things, so we can be done with that now. And let's get to the main point of this passage, which I read to you, which was about obedience the obedience that comes from faith. So Saul disregarded the command to utterly destroy the Amalekites. He spared the life of the Amalekite king. Quite possibly he did that because he, he wanted his followers to differentiate between royalty and regular people, and also possibly so that if he was captured by the Amalekites at some future time, they might kill his men, but they won't kill him because he spared the king. He also allowed his followers to keep the best livestock And when Samuel first confronted Saul about what he did or failed to do, Saul claimed that he saved all the animals for sacrificing to the Lord. And he was lying. He got caught in that lie. And we'll see that in just a second. So he decided in that moment to make up. He he, he didn't know that Samuel knew he was lying. So he decided to make up for that failure to obey by saying, well, we'll just sacrifice all these animals because God likes sacrifices, right? Samuel didn't buy it. And this is, again, I'm going to reread to you verse 22. Which does the Lord prefer, obedience or offerings and sacrifices? It is better to obey him than to sacrifice the best sheep to him. Rebellion against him is as bad as witchcraft. Arrogance is as sinful as idolatry. Because you rejected the Lord's command, he has rejected you as king. Now, it may be that Saul's warriors were kind of grumbling about pointlessly killing good animals, what they saw as pointlessly killing them. And, but even if they weren't, it might have been that Saul wanted to appear gracious and to sort of make his men love him by rewarding them with all the sheep and the oxen and all the good stuff. Now, there may not be anything wrong with that sort of on a regular basis, There were times, we'll read later on, where King David did exactly that sort of thing. But in this particular instance, God had commanded Saul to kill all of the animals. And we talked about why that would be last time. But finally, Saul broke down when Samuel confronted him. And he said this, I didn't read this to you a second ago, but in verse 24, he said, Yes, I have sinned, Saul replied. I disobeyed the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of my men and did what they wanted. So Saul finally admits, yeah, he was lying when he said he was just going to sacrifice these animals, that that's why he saved them. He saved them because he he was afraid of the opinion of his men and he wanted their good opinion. He wanted to be popular with them. Now Samuel's declaration that obedience is better than sacrifice is a major theme throughout both the Old and the New Testaments. The Psalms reference this exact concept many times. So does Isaiah, Hosea. Jesus mentions it several times in the New Testament, and I think some other New Testament writers too. But we need to be careful. It's really easy for us to say, "Okay, yeah, obey. obedience is better than sacrifice. We don't have to do all this, you know, uh, religious stuff. We just need to obey God." And and there's something about us that sometimes we kind of like this thing. And and I will say this, sometimes we should have that attitude. What is the point of saying that we follow God if we don't obey him? Sometimes we just need to do the right thing because God says it's the right thing and we need to do it. There are times when sometimes people just need to step up and obey what God tells us through the Bible. Some of us need to stop making excuses, quit fooling around and get serious about doing what Jesus tells us to do. And it's appropriate for some of us to take that approach at times. But that same attitude, if it is applied wrongly, can lead us completely away from what God is really after in our hearts. And it can tend to make us rely on our own strength and our our own efforts in the flesh. So here's the first thing. Where is Jesus in this passage? To obey is better than sacrifice. I don't know about you, I have at times given that obedience thing a really good try, and I can't do it. So where is Jesus? He fulfilled this passage on our behalf. The writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm 40, which also references this very same concept, and he he says this, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. But I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on to say that prophecy was about Jesus. That the law of God was written on Jesus' heart and Jesus delighted in God's will. He didn't live according to religious rules. But the law of God was in his heart, and during his time on earth he lived out that law through dependence upon the Father. He, Jesus, obeyed God perfectly. I cannot obey God perfectly, and neither can anyone else. So Jesus did it for us. He did it on our behalf. The obedience that we owe God is complete and perfect in Jesus Christ and only in Jesus Christ. So even if we took this and said, well, to obey is better than sacrifice, that doesn't save us because we can't obey properly. But when we look for Jesus, we see Jesus did it perfectly for us. So when you think I have to obey God because to obey is better than sacrifice, actually what you should say is I need to trust Jesus trusting Jesus is my obedience because he has already done the obedience for me. And Jesus even said, trusting him was what we needed to do. In uh, John chapter six, 28 through 29, the people wanted to know what's the work of God. They said, what do we do? What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who is sent. John 6 28 and 29 and I do think in the New Testament the the Greek word pistis which is typically translated believe I think probably in many cases the best way to translate that word is trust so just to make it clear from what Jesus said there trusting Jesus is our obedience We trust him. We receive what Jesus has done for us through our faith in him. That is our obedience. And sometimes I think we can get a little bit confused here because we say, well, you know, trust and obedience are are kind of connected. They can almost look the same because when you live by faith, when you live trusting Jesus, it does lead you to do certain things. That looks like obedience. It does lead you to avoid doing things like sins. And that looks like obedience. And the Bible does use the term obedience. But we need to remember it is the obedience of faith. Not the obedience of self-effort or religion. The obedience of trusting Jesus. Not the obedience of working really hard for yourself. Saul was religious but he had no relationship with god he had no trust with god he claimed that what he did was good because he was thinking about religious appearances saving you know that many animals to sacrifice all at once for god that'll make up for the fact that he didn't obey right that's kind of the way he was thinking well we just slaughter them all right here in front of god and and that makes up for the lack of obedience cuz you know god loves that that religious stuff sacrifices were part of the jewish religion after all But Saul used that religious thing to actually keep from interacting with God, from actually listening to him and responding in faith to what God said. Jesus encountered that same kind of attitude among the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day. They were also very religious. But instead of listening to what the word of the Lord actually said, they obeyed man-made rules and they put their own trust in their own efforts. Religion keeps track. It keeps track of rules and regulations to follow, and it keeps track of how well we've followed them. But it doesn't live by true faith relationship. The Pharisees obeyed religiously, but they put their trust in man-made rules, and they put their trust in their own efforts to keep those rules. So what does this look like? What does the obedience of faith look like? Are we supposed to obey or not let me give you a little analogy i think this is really helpful so if you're drifting off and your attention is going hey hey just listen up this part at least (laughs) sorry uh i love spy shows movies like the the born identity or, or or things like that and you know movies movies are tricky you know there's there's usually something that's not righteous and not good in a movie but you know we can find good things in movies And sometimes in a movie like The Bourne Identity or a spy thriller, you might, you know, picture a scene where the heroine has found a time bomb and she has less than two minutes to defuse the bomb, maybe even less than a minute, and she doesn't know how to do it. But she gets on the phone with her superior officer who does, he's an expert in defusing bombs. And so she gets on the phone with him and he says, cut the blue wire, but be sure not to cut the red one. So she carefully cuts the blue wire, but she does not cut the red one. Now, tell me, what's going on here? Is she obeying her boss or is she trusting him? That takes us right to the heart of the matter. I want you to think about it again. She's about to defuse this bomb. is going to blow her to pieces if she doesn't do the right thing here. And she calls her superior officer who she believes that guy knows what to do. And he says, cut the blue wire, do not cut the red one. She does exactly that. Was she obeying or was she trusting? She was doing both, of course. But you see, her actions of obedience came from her trust in her chief. She trusted that he knew how to save her. She trusted that if she does what he says she will be safe and so because of the trust she acts according to what he says because of the trust her actions were obedient but she didn't obey because it's right to obey my supervisor she didn't obey because of you know it's morally I'm morally obligated to obey my supervisor she was obeying him because she trusted that he wanted to save her life, and he knew how to save her life. Now, you could call that obedience, and and I, I think that's legitimate. You can call it obedience, but I think we also have to call it trust. The obedience is the result of the trust. This is really, really important. We obey when we're in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we obey because we trust. And again, Christians sometimes call this the obedience of faith. Now, let's pursue this analogy a little bit further. Return to the, the, the time bomb scene. In order to get this kind of trust obedience, you need several factors. First, the heroine had to believe that her life really was in danger. Right? If she didn't believe the time bomb was real, she wouldn't have even called her boss, right? She just never mind, I'll just leave it there. It doesn't matter. She had to believe that she was facing a very serious situation. Second, she had to believe that her chief had the knowledge that could save her. She had to trust him to the extent that, that she knew that he knew what to do. So she had to believe that she was in real danger, that the situation was real and serious. She had to believe that he knew how to save her. And third, she had to believe that he wanted to save her. If she didn't trust him, and he said, cut the blue wire, not the red one, she probably would have cut the red one if she didn't trust him. So she had to trust that he actually wanted to save her. And you don't get that kind of relationship of trusting and believing somebody wants your best good without spending time, without developing and and putting some some energy and time and, and work into that relationship. When we encounter problems with obeying God in our lives, I think it is probably some combination of these same factors at play. Maybe we believe that the situation isn't very serious, you know god doesn't want you to do xyz and there's there's some of that stuff in the bible <sighs> is it really that big of a deal you know i mean is it really such a big deal if i cheat on my taxes is it really such a big deal if if i steal from a multinational corporation that will never miss the money and they don't care anyway Is it really such a big deal if i you know sleep with my girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever or have an affair or whatever else you know we we aren't sure that it's really that important. We don't believe we're in danger. And so then we we, we don't even move on from there. We don't even seek God's word or his help. We think it's not relevant or helpful to us. Or, you know, maybe we think, yeah, you know, even if obeying God is the right thing, we'll be okay without it. Maybe we think, uh, you know, I don't know if he knows what I need in this situation, right? I mean, God's up there in heaven. He's doing his thing. How, how does he really know what I've got going on here? How does he know that, you know, what really needs to happen in my life? Don't I know better about what needs to happen here? So so we don't obey because we don't believe our problems or our struggles with sin are really that serious and we are not convinced we need saving. Maybe we think God is irrelevant. He doesn't have the answers we need. We think, you know, that, that the Bible was written a long time ago. Is it really relevant today? And I, th- I think this was one of Saul's major issues, right? He seemed to feel that God was fine for religious things. Yeah, when it's time to worship God and do the thing, you know, maybe if you, if you really can't see what to do, you can call the priest. But then if it becomes obvious that you know what to do, you can leave the priest behind like he did in the battle. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that. He kind of felt like, I think, Saul, that he had to take care of himself. That, you know, when it came to real life, he had to use his common sense and make sure that, that he took care of himself and provided for himself. He, he didn't seem to think that the commands of God had any value in his own situation. And again, sometimes we, obey cause, we disobey because we aren't sure that we can trust God. We think maybe he doesn't really have our best interests at heart. And this was part of Saul's issue. He was insecure about his position as king, even though God was the one who called him to be king. And and he felt he had to look out for himself. He didn't trust God to protect him or defend him. But no matter what factor it is, do you see that the solution is faith or trust? In each case, we need to address what we believe. It is essential for us to learn how to trust God more deeply, We need to accept that our problems really are serious, that the things we face in life are deadly serious, fatally serious. And we really do need the Lord at the very deepest level of our being. We need to trust that the Lord really does have what it takes to save us, that His words are life. We need to develop the confidence that God and His Word is relevant in every moment of our lives. And finally, we, we ought to rely on the fact that He truly loves us. He truly has your best interest in His heart. And I think that's where a lot of us struggle, right? We tend to think that what we want is best. And if there's a conflict between what we want and what the Lord wants for us, we know better. That's what we think, right? I mean, we wouldn't say that well. Yeah, of course God's no better, but we act like we think we know better than God. You know, God God really he wants me just to, you know, do XYZ in the situation. That can't be right. I know I know the situation. This is what I got to do. We need to abandon this attitude entirely and put all of our hope in his goodness and grace. Peter, the apostle Peter, had a moment in his life when he he expressed this in in a wonderful way. A lot of people had turned away from following Jesus and he was left with just the 12 apostles. And this is from John chapter six again, John six, chapter 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Here's the key. Peter understood this. There is no alternative to Jesus. No good alternative to Jesus. Where else would we go? You are the ones with the words of eternal life. That is magnificent trust Peter knew he needed help. He didn't think he could, through his own effort, please God. And he trusted that Jesus and only Jesus could save him and that Jesus wanted to save him. He actively trusted that God's way was always best. Now, the reality is we behave according to what we believe and trust. In the past, I have mentioned the story of the four-minute mile, our um summarize it really quickly for you. For many, many decades when they started doing, you know, timing modern runners, no one believed that a person could run a mile in less than four minutes. And then one man began to believe that he might actually be able to do it. And within six weeks of the first time he said, you know what, I think I can do this. He had done it. When he really believed it was possible, within six weeks, he had done it. And then as soon as he proved that someone could run a mile in less than four minutes, four or five other people within, within a couple of months, four or five other people also broke the same barrier. And then a few de- decades later, hundreds of people had done it. And the only thing that changed from the decades and decades before when not a single person ran faster than that, and then that short period of time when all kinds of people started running faster than that, what changed is people believed that it could be done. Their belief changed, and so their behavior changed. So what I'm trying to say is this. If you do truly trust Jesus, your actions will begin to reflect that trust. And I say begin, very advisedly, your actions will begin to reflect that trust. It might be slow, slow. It might have fits and starts and sometimes you trust and sometimes you don't. But as you look back over time, you realize you are living differently. You are obeying him because you trust him. The devil likes us either to disobey. It's no big deal. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's, you know, you're not in danger anyway. Just go ahead. It's no, just do whatever you want to do. I'll help you, says the devil. Or... He wants us to do the right thing in the wrong way for the wrong reason. Do the right thing because it's the right thing. And something in us, in our flesh, responds to that. But it leads us to trust in our own efforts. Yes, I can do the right thing. I will do the right thing because I am strong and I am good. And that attitude leads us to trust in our own efforts. And we can do the right thing with our own effort for a while. And if we manage that, the devil will lead us astray through pride and arrogance. And no one else is going to be one around you, uh, want to be around you, excuse me. But most of us fail eventually because our efforts always fall short. It's not the obedience of trust in Jesus who is already obeyed on our behalf. So instead, we should do the right thing because we know that we're in desperate need of help and we trust that only God can help us and we believe that he really does want the very best for us. Let me say that again. We should do the right thing because we know that we are in desperate need of help and we trust that only God can help us and we believe that he really does love us and want the very best for us. Now, you go, you go try a week of trusting God and obeying him. Well, you're, you're going to fail probably at some point or maybe you'll make it a few weeks or a few months, but sooner or later you're going to fail. And when you fail, the devil likes to beat us up there. You just aren't obedient enough. You just didn't try enough. But the problem isn't effort. The real solution is that we need to trust even more. Listen, Jesus has already obeyed perfectly his righteous obedience is now ours second corinthians five twenty one says he made him who knew no sin that's jesus to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of god we're the righteousness of god not because we are righteous in in ourselves but because jesus has made us righteous because the obedience of jesus is applied to us You see, because Jesus has obeyed perfectly in our place, we cannot fail at this. You understand what I'm saying? The obedience that God sees when he looks at me is the perfect obedience of Jesus. I can't mess that up. I'm not powerful enough to mess up the perfect obedience of Jesus. You can't fail. And the more we really believe that, the more we really act like it. The more we believe in the righteousness that Jesus has given us, the more we act righteous. So, what's it going to be today? Do you trust that your situation is serious? Do you remember that no one gets out of this world without dying? Do you recognize that even handling day-to-day life is difficult? That you are in desperate place, the bomb's about to go off, and you can only get help from one place, one person? And do you trust that the Lord has the right, relevant word for you? That it matters here and now? That it has everything to do with how you live every moment of your life? And do you accept that He knows better than you that He will save you and He will guide you if you trust Him to. And do you know and do you trust that the Lord wants to save you and wants to help you, that He gives us all of the goodness of Jesus? Do you trust that goodness? Do you believe that Jesus has obeyed perfectly as a stand-in for you? In other words, do you trust that you're safe? You can't fail at this. Let's take a moment right now and listen to what the Lord says to us. Holy Spirit, please take your word. Let us receive everything you're saying. I know that last bit is scary. The idea, Lord, that because of you, Jesus, we can't fail. But if it's anything else, it would be up to our own efforts. And Lord, we confess and agree that our own efforts are never going to be enough. So we trust in your efforts, Jesus, your perfect obedience for us. And Holy Spirit, encourage us, deepen our trust in you, deepen our faith, deepen our belief and understanding that we're in need, that you are the answer and that you want to give us that answer, that you want to give us all your fullness and goodness and grace, that you really truly love us even more than we love ourselves. Thank you, Lord. Make these things real in our hearts right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.